Luke chapter 5, um, if you remember from uh, last week and a couple of weeks as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and we're in an awesome, interesting time right in the Gospel of Luke because it's the commencement of Jesus' earthly ministry. We've seen that, that Jesus has, has publicly declared himself as Messiah as he went to the temple there and began to read from Isaiah chapter 61. And he declared that, hey, today these things are being fulfilled in your midst. Right? And the people were just shocked seeing that, man, this is, you know, who is he? Right? He began to do all kinds of miracles. And, and so we see that Jesus is stirring up a lot of attention now around, around, uh, around his ministry, around, around his life. And um, we see even last week that, that he's be, begun to call men unto himself. And we read about last week how he called Peter, James, and John, the three fishermen, unto himself. Bless you. As he was there on, the, on, on Peter's boat, he began to just teach the multitude from his boat. And then we're told that he, he told Peter, all right, Peter, you know, let's, let's go meet you. And he told him, all right, go, into, go into, the, into the deep. And he had a personal encounter with Peter. Then that's where he called him there. He told him, all right, follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men now. And so as Jesus is beginning his, his earthly ministry, we, we see again that he's beginning to draw a crowd. Man, a huge amount of people are coming to him to be healed, to hear from him, to see if, what, all, what all the commotion is about, to see if this is really the Messiah that, that, that everyone's been talking about. And so we pick it up here in verse 12 now of chapter 5 of the Gospel of Luke. And it says, And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and he fell on his face and he implored him or he begged him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him. He says, don't tell anyone. <laughs> he says, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, verse 15 says, the report went around concerning him and all the more and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And we'll stop right there. And so we see, again, uh, now the story of a leprous man who came to Jesus. As again, as Jesus is just uh, roaming around, right? He, he, had, again, he, was at, he spent some time at, at, Peter's, uh, at Peter's house. They were there at the Sea of Galilee. And as, Peter, as Jesus is just walking around, we see that this leprous man hears about Jesus. He hears about Jesus and he sees Jesus. And being that he was a leprous man, I mean, you could only imagine what type of life he lived. The Old Testament instructed that a man full of leprosy or anybody with leprosy uh, with his disease was to be cast outside of the camp. You remember when we went through, through Leviticus? We're told that they were to be uh, sent far away from the people, lest his disease spread and affect someone else. And so for the leprous man uh, or the leprous person back in, in, in Jesus' day was typically, man, a very lonely, very isolated, very uh, uh, poor even individual because now you can't go to work. You can't provide for your family. You can't go out there and work. You're pretty much, uh, you're resorted to living off of people's charity. Right? And so the leprous man had to be, man, far away from the city, far, far away from the main population. And whenever he came near uh, a groups of people, he had to yell out, unclean, unclean. So that everybody, all right, I got to get away from this, pe- from this person. Right? If you were around a leprous man, we're told, or you know, history tells us that, that they were to be at least six feet apart, <laughs> I kid you not, from the leprous man. But if wind was blowing, if the wind was blowing towards your direction, there was a leprous man there, you had to go as far as 150 feet away. And so we see, man, for, for this leprous man to see Jesus and to go to Jesus, man, it was a bold move. And so here we have a picture of a desperate man. And we're told that he saw Jesus and he fell on his face and he begged him. 
And again, a bold move being that, that he was not even allowed to come near the people. We see that he risked it all. He saw Jesus, he saw his opportunity, and he risked it all. He said, this is my chance. He said, I got to come to Jesus. Right? This is amazing because we see that this leprous man, we don't know his name, we don't know his story. All we know is that he was a leprous man. It says that he was, uh, that he was covered in leprosy. He was full of leprosy, meaning that his condition was probably really bad. If you're familiar with this, with this, uh, with this disease, you can look it up online unless you have a weak stomach. It, some nasty pictures. But yeah, it, what this disease would do is it, it would begin to just rot the flesh and it would begin to attack the nervous system. So somebody could literally have their fingers and toes uh, uh, falling off and yet they wouldn't feel anything because of, of, the, of their nervous system uh, 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 just te- tearing away. So they could be sleeping at night and they have the mice or rats chewing at their, at their flesh and they wouldn't even realize it. Right, there's pictures of, of, of people with their noses falling off, right? It's, just, it's, it's horrible. It looks like, uh, they look like zombies. Right? It was a painful disease. It was a horrible disease. And so this guy, again, he's a desperate man. He has no hope of getting better. He has no hope of getting better. And he was suffering from this disease that had taken over his life. And he was just dying slowly and painfully. Now we see that he didn't doubt Jesus' ability to heal him. He, said, he, says, he told Jesus, I know that if you're willing, you can make me clean. That's what he says. I know that if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, now it's awesome because keep in mind that, that, that this leprous man had no way of knowing that Jesus could miraculously heal him. Up until this point, Jesus had never healed a leprous man. Right? He had performed other miracles, but we don't have any account of him healing a leprous man. But yet this guy says, Jesus, I know. I know that you could if you wanted to. I know that if you're willing, you could heal me. Right? And up until this point, again, this was the first instance of Jesus even encountering a, a leper. And so we see that this man had faith. You know, the type of faith that would cause him to just risk it all, right? Just to encounter Jesus in a personal way. I love that about this man. Right? Because he's no different than you and I. Right? We're all in certain situations in our lives, right? And the Lord allows us to be in those situations to kind of get us to a point where we're just willing to risk it all, man, just to get close to Jesus. Lord, I need a special, personal, intimate encounter with you. I can't live on like this anymore. All right? and, and all of us are here, I think, because we've, we've had some type of encounter with the Lord. Like that where we're like, man, Jesus, I, I know that if you could, you could do this thing in my life if you're willing. But I know it takes you. Right? Now notice the response of Jesus there in verse 13. He says, I am willing. Be cleansed. But more than, more than that, it says that he put out his hand and he touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Man, that's heavy. Because, man, a leprous man, you're not even supposed to get near this guy. Everybody will run the opposite, uh, the opposite way like when they see him coming. But yeah, Jesus, we're told that this guy came, he fell on his face. Notice that he didn't touch Jesus. He knew, he knew the law. He knew, man, if I, if I touch him, I'll probably be stoned to death. But what do you do? He just fell on his feet. He just fell on his face and he begged him, saying, Lord, I know you're willing. If you're willing, you can, you can make me here. You can make him clean. And so in verse 13, we're told Jesus put out his hand and he touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Now, I like what Mark says about this uh, in the Gospel of Mark because uh, 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 we have the same story in, in Mark chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 8. But uh, Mark one forty one adds that Jesus was moved with compassion. We're told that when this leprous man came and he fell on his feet and he begged him, we're told that Jesus was moved with compassion and he stretched out his hand and he touched him. I like that. I like that, that, that Mark includes that. It doesn't say that just that Jesus touched him. It says that he was moved with compassion and so he touched him. Now, keep in mind, man, this leprous man. Again, we don't know how long he had been in this condition. 
But this guy probably hadn't felt the warmth of a loving touch in a very long time. If you had any kids, man, you could say goodbye, goodbye to hugging your kids. If you had a wife, man, you could say goodbye to kissing your wife on the forehead every night. If you had any type of family, he was now forced to be isolated from his family because he didn't want to spread the disease to them. So this guy had, probably hadn't felt the, the warm touch of another human being in a very long time. Right? Now, it's interesting because Jesus could have just spoken a word and he would have been healed. And Jesus is going to do that later on. Different instances where he heals people. Sometimes he'll, he'll touch them. Other times they'll touch the hem of his garment, his t-shirt. And sometimes he'll just say a word. And other times he'll get mud and put it in people's face or, or their eyes. Jesus could have healed them by just saying the word. But we're told that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw this man. And he touched him. He didn't have to touch him. right? But he was moved with compassion and he touched this man. Right? Jesus wanted this lonely, isolated, hurt, forgotten man to experience the compassion of a loving Savior. And so he touched him. I love this, man. And don't you love this about the Lord? Don't you love this about Jesus? I, I camped out on these verses. I'm like, Lord, I love this about you. I'm like, God, you're so compassionate. God, you're so loving. Right? Don't you love this about the Lord? Because we pray for healing. We pray for healing. We pray for blessings. We pray for various needs. We pray for, I mean, for God to do different things in our lives. And sometimes the Lord does, and sometimes He doesn't. But more than what God wants to do for us, and more than what God wants to do through us, man, there's something that God wants to do in us. I think for that man, experiencing the compassionate, loving touch of Jesus at that moment probably meant more than his healing. It doesn't say that, but I could, I could infer, and I could confidently say that that, that, that meant more. Jesus touching him, being such a popular figure at the time, getting all this recognition, having all these followers, having these huge crowds, and then and, and knowing that he was you know, a man esteemed by, by, by the people and being called the, the, the Messiah, the Christ of God, and him going out and compassionately just touching him. I could, I could almost guarantee you that this meant more to him than, than, than any healing. right? And I love that about the Lord because, again, more than what God wants to do through us and more than what God wants to do for us, and God is always desiring to do something in us, in our hearts, right? And now, if this man never had leprosy, I begin to think, all right, man, what if this guy never had leprosy? And what if this guy's life was perfect? What if he never got this disease? He would have carried on. You know, what if this guy never got leprosy? You know, I mean, who knows if his eyes would have been open to see Jesus that day? Because we're told that, that, that he saw Jesus. It says again there in verse 12, it says that it happened when Jesus was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. So it was this leprous man who saw Jesus first. Jesus didn't see him first. He saw Jesus first and he went to Jesus. But I wonder, man, I just wonder, if this guy was never sick, if he was never ill, if he never had this disease, I wonder if he would have had the eyes to see Jesus that day. I wonder. Why? Because we see that, that, that God will allow us to go through sicknesses, through diseases, through trials, through heartaches, through hurts, through, diff, through different difficulties in our lives. Right? If it means an opportunity for us to seek him. It's not that God causes those things, but He allows those things, right, as an opportunity for us to seek Him and to recognize in those times, man, Lord, I'm weak. I need you. If this guy's life was perfect, everything was in order, his health was fine, I wonder if he would have had the eyes to see Jesus that day because he wouldn't have had a need for Him, right? And we see that the Lord allows us, man, to, go, to get into these places of our lives where we recognize, Lord, I need you for this. Right? He, he, he breaks us in different ways in our, in our own personal lives so that we can come to the place in our lives where we can say, God, I need you. you know, God, heal me right, of this. Lord, heal my family, heal my kids. Lord, this, that, the other. You fill in the blank. Right? And I love that. Because God's word tells us in Jeremiah 
29, 13, one of my favorite verses. It says, you will seek me and then you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And so sometimes God allows these, these different circumstances to come our way so that we can be in the position to seek God. And then God makes us a promise in Jeremiah 29, 13, that if we seek Him, we will find Him when we search for Him with all our heart. That's a promise, man. It's like an equation. This plus this equals this. If you search for them with all your heart, you're going to find Him. Right? God's not going to allow you to, to search you know, and, and be like a blind man, not, not able to find Him. No, if He sees you seeking for Him with your whole heart, man, He's going to make sure you find Him. He's going to make sure that He is found by you. I love this about the Lord. He doesn't hide Himself from us. Right? He doesn't hide His love from us. He's a loving Father who desires to just pour out His love, His blessing upon His children, upon us. I love that. And so we see that Jesus touches the guy. He heals him. And He instructs him to show himself to the priest and offer the sacrifices commanded by the Mosaic Law. That's in Leviticus 14. went over uh, Wednesday night, so I'm not going to go into it too deep. But we see that Leviticus 14 actually inst it gave instructions for a man who was ever healed by leprosy. Now, we don't have any instance in the Bible of, 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 any, of any man uh, healed. You know, well, one that I could think of. But he wasn't a Jew. But it's awesome how, how the Lord provided, kind of, he made a room for a miracle there in the Bible. And so we're told that whenever a man was, was healed of leprosy, that he was supposed to go to the temple and offer a certain sacrifice. And so Jesus tells them, all right, he says, don't say anything. Just, you know, look, you're healed. Don't say anything. Just go to the temple. Show yourself to the priest. Bring the offering for, for, the, for the leprosy. He says, and, and, go, and go on your way. Right? He says, don't tell anyone. But again, I like what Mark says about this. Now, Mark must have talked to somebody, man, because he knew, he knew all the good details. And so Mark says this in Mark 145 about the same story, about the same guy. He says that the guy went out. And it says that he began to proclaim it freely <laughs> what Jesus had done to him and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And that's where they came to him from every direction. So Mark tells us that this guy, Jesus healed him. He says, all right, go to the temple, uh, give, uh, give a sacrifice, but don't tell anyone. But Mark tells us, no, this guy, he couldn't shut up, man. <laughs> and once Jesus healed him, he went and he told everybody, I would do the same thing. I don't blame this guy. Right? And Jesus doesn't blame me either. We're not told that Jesus condemned him or anything. But man, he had just been healed. He had, he had, he had just had a life-changing transformation in his life. How, he could not, how could he not proclaim it to everybody freely? Right? This guy was so happy. He was so transformed. He was just so, so full of joy about what Jesus had done in his life. Man, he went and he told everybody. He's on his way to the temple bar. He's like, hey guys, remember me? I'm the leprous guy. Remember me? Remember me? Everyone's probably looking at him. What happened? Hey, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Began to tell, he began to tell everybody, man, it was Jesus. He made me whole. He cleansed me. He healed me. Hey, He touched me. He loves me. Right? He loves me. Now, maybe Jesus didn't want the fame to spread so quickly, you know, early on in his ministry. Keep in mind that, that Jesus just began his ministry. I don't know. I don't know for whatever reason Jesus told him, don't tell anyone. But I love the fact that this guy, he couldn't keep it to himself. Right? About, he, he just needed to tell everyone what God had done for him. Now, we see that he had, an ex he had experienced the compassionate touch of a Savior and the miraculous healing of God in his life. After being ostracized, after being isolated, after being forgotten, after being forsaken, after being pretty much you know, looked down upon by the rest of the world, man, God himself comes and he says, hey, look, he touches them. I want to make you whole. Man. So he goes and what does he do, man? He shares it with everybody. Right? He shares it with everybody. I love that because we could kind of relate that to our lives. Maybe none of us here are full of leprosy, but it's interesting that, that, that oftentimes the Bible kind of uh, uh, assimilates leprosy with sin. 
right? And and and, and kind of the, the the destructive effects that leprosy had physically on a person, you know, are similar to the destructive effects that sin has on an individual. Maybe not outwardly, not all the time, but inwardly, right? When you begin to dabble in sin, right? it begins to just eat you up from the inside until your 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 core is just rotten. Right, your 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 mindset, your thoughts, your your heart is just man. It's just they're 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 wicked. They're rotten. How you can think about it? Just wickedness. Right, and you continue in that sin. You continue that in that cycle, and you're like slowly killing yourself from the inside. Jesus would say that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see somebody speaking, you know, just all kinds of blasphemies, blasphemies, all kinds of just uh, you know, like horrible things, and you see, man, where it's coming from the heart. Right? Just like leprosy, man, this, this, this disease of sin just eats you up from the inside. But all of us also, you know, we have the opportunity to, to have this, ex- this experience with the Savior, this loving relationship with Jesus. And He touches us, that compassionate touch of God. He saves us, He washes us, He cleanses us. We say, Lord, I know if you're willing, you can make me clean. And He does. The Bible tells us at the very moment we believe in Jesus for salvation, man, that we're washed. We're made righteous. We're forgiven. Right? When Jesus died on the cross, He died on the cross for all of our sins, past, present, and future. I messed up, man. What Jesus knew I was going to mess up. He already forgave me. The Bible tells in the Hebrews, He says, therefore we have access to the throne of God. So we come into His throne with boldness to find help in the time of need. That's amazing. That's amazing. And God touches our hearts. He transforms our lives. Right? He brings us into His family. He calls us sons. He calls us daughters. <laughs> And our natural reaction should be that of this leprous man. You know what? I can't keep it to myself. I got to tell everybody. Right? I love that. It's great news. And going on, continue on there in verse 17, it says, Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that's as Jesus was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So as Jesus was teaching their man, these guys came from all around. They traveled from a far way to hear Jesus. And then verse 18 says, Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before Jesus. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And then when he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is, who, who is he who speaks blasphemies? He says, who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning amongst your hearts? Man, Jesus knows our hearts. They didn't even say it out loud. He knew what they were thinking. And he said, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins he said to the man who was paralyzed, All right, get up, take up your bed, and go to your house. And verse 25 says, Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been laying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and they were all filled with fear, saying, Man, we've seen strange things today. Or they're saying, Man, some crazy stuff is going on here. That's, you could translate, it's an angel translation. <laughs> and so we see now in this story, um, Again, of, of, this, of this paralytic, right? And again, uh, Mark, in the, in, in the Gospel of Mark, tells us that this took place in the city of Capernaum. And so for Jesus to be in Capernaum, and then we're told that these religious guys came from, uh, from Galilee and from Judea and everywhere from Jerusalem, meaning, man, they, they traveled a far way, these, these religious guys, to, to hear Jesus. 
right? And so Mark tells us that this took place in the city of Capernaum and that the house where Jesus was teaching at was packed all the way to the door and that there was no more room for anyone to go inside, right? Luke, Luke just says, all right, there was a lot of people there. There was multitudes. But Mark tells us, look, it was so packed that you couldn't even get in the door. People were like, man, I'm just trying to, jump, trying to see what's going on in there, but the house was so packed that you couldn't even get into the door. And so we're introduced now to this group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. I believe it's the first time that they're, that they're mentioned here. Um, I might be wrong. But, but it, we're introduced now to this religious group called the Pharisees, which were uh, a, a group of, one of many uh, Jewish groups, Jewish religious groups amongst the Pharisees. There were also the Sadducees. There were the, the, the scribes who were, who were pretty much the writers of the law. There were the, the, the lawyers of the law also. And so this word Pharisee actually comes from a Hebrew word that means separated. Right? These guys consider themselves to be the separated amongst all the Jews. Right? We're told that Paul the Apostle, man, before he was Paul, right, he was Saul. He called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so we're introduced to this group now called the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees, they accepted the written word of God, what, what they knew as the Old Testament. They accepted it as inspired by God. They recognized, man, all our Old Testament, from Moses, the, the law, to the prophets, the Psalms, the Proverbs, all of it is inspired by God. There's nothing wrong with that, right? I do too. But they gave equal authority to oral tradition. And so among the, the, the Old Testament law, the Jews also had uh, different books. One of them was called the Mishnah, which were a compilation of about 600 oral traditions. Right, that pretty much were commentaries on the law. Someone would say, "Oh, well, the the law says you know that we got to keep the Sabbath, but what is what if I wake up late?" And this, so every little they would address every single little question that they had to the law. And in addition, it came to be about more than six hundred like sub laws, right? And, and and we see that these Pharisees, history tells us that they would consider the law, but also the oral tradition which came from man and not from God as law. So man, they would try their hardest to keep these traditions, this oral law, and they would put this trip on the people as well. Tell them, look, you have to keep all these laws, right? Makes sense later on when Jesus would tell his disciples and tell all his followers, if anybody wants to enter the kingdom of heaven, he must be more righteous than a Pharisee. Everyone would be like, man, are you serious? These guys are like, man, they keep the law and then some. How can anyone you know, enter the kingdom of God like that? And he would go on to tell them, no, like these guys, they're hypocrites. They're whitewashed tombs. And they, 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 they say things, but yet they don't do it themselves. They preach that people should keep the law, and they preach that people should keep the oral tradition, but yet they themselves, uh, they, 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 they break it, right? And they don't keep it. They're hypocrites. And so what Jesus was talking about was, man, you've got to be more righteous than a Pharisee. You've got to be more righteous than these religious leaders, saying, it's got to be a heart. It's got to be a heart thing, right? And so these, these group of Pharisees were told that they traveled from a far way to go hear Jesus teach, and probably to kind of just see what was going on, right? They had heard definitely about Jesus, how he was healing multitudes, how he was, you know, man, this leprous man who had been healed, he went to show himself at the temple, all these different things that he was teaching, what he had said about himself in the temple, uh, saying that he was the Messiah, all these things. And so they came and, they, and they, they heard from him, right? We see that the Pharisees, they prided themselves in the keeping of these traditions, right? And they taught the people again that they should observe all these things. They had uh, a religious influence, in the time of Jesus, right? They were the kind of like the go-to guys. Oh, I got a question about this, right? Go to him. Oh, I got a question about that, right? Go to the Pharisees, right? They had this, the religious authority during that time. We're told that even uh, when Jesus was, was, was condemned to Pilate, we're told that first they brought him before the, the, the high priest, the Pharisees, Annas and Caiaphas, right? So they had that type of authority, man, there in Israel and Jesus' time. 
And so they probably heard that this prophet has come out of Galilee. They hear all the stories about Jesus. And they're like, man, we've got to go check it out. We've got to see what all the commotion is about. Right? And so we're told also that there was a group of men who carried their friend on a bed because he was paralyzed. We're introduced to these guys again. We don't know their names. We don't know how many of them were there. But we're told that there was a group of men who brought their paralyzed friend on a bed. They carried him for, I don't know how long and how far, but they carried him because he was paralyzed and they wanted to bring him before Jesus. Right? We don't know how far they traveled, but they heard of this miracle man named Jesus. And they're like, man, maybe he can help our friend. We'll carry him all the way to him. Now we're told that when they get to the house, they see that it's packed out and there's no way to get to the door. And so what do they do? We're told that they carry him up to the roof and they lower him through the ceiling. Now, keep in mind that it was, it was common in Israel at that time. And even then still, if you go today, you can see some old, like super old houses, right? And old buildings. And it kind of looks all like this. You know, they're, they're kind of built on top of each other. And, and the old houses back then, they had like these little balconies or man, they were terraces. That's what they were. And, and, and it was typical for, for a house to have kind of like an access hatch on the top where they would put a ladder through. Right? And they would just climb to the top, open the access hatch that pretty much had tiles on it. They would open the access hatch and they would be able to go on their balcony or on their terrace and just pray to God or maybe uh, hang clothes or whatever it is that they need to do. Right? Go out there and enjoy the sunset. So it was a common thing. And so we're told these guys, they get to the house. Oh, man, there's no way we're getting to the door. Come on, I got an idea. Let's take them to the top. They climb to the top. I mean, man, keep in mind, I, mean, I don't know how much this guy weighed. Right, but they're, they're going through all the trouble to carry him up there with his bed and everything. Then they got to find a rope. They got to find somewhere to lower him and in a way that he won't get hurt. Then they just drop him right before Jesus. They take apart the tile from the ceiling. They open up the access hatch and they begin to lower him. And, and they, they get him right in front of Jesus. That's determination. <laughs> man, these guys must have loved this man. Right? He was probably maybe a childhood friend. Maybe he was a relative. I don't know. But we see that these guys love this man so much that they would go through all the trouble, carry him from I don't know how far, bring him before Jesus. They see a, a roadblock, no way, we're getting him to him. Go through the top, lower him, go through all this trouble. They were determined, man. You got to love the determination of these guys. Right? Again, they must have really loved him. And so we're told that as they bring him, notice what Jesus says there in verse 20. He says, when he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. What? He says, first he sees their faith. It doesn't say anything about the faith of the man. I don't know if he was doubting or not. Maybe he was like, I don't know if he could help me. I've been in this condition for a long time. I wouldn't know if he was born that way. But he says, I don't know if he could help me. I don't know. But we're told that Jesus saw the faith of his friends. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I don't know about you, man, but if I was these guys and I just carried my friend through the you know, hot Israeli desert for I don't know how long, we go through all this trouble or before Jesus... I'm expecting a miracle, man. I'm expecting Jesus to say, all right, man, uh, you're healed. But instead he says, your sins are forgiven. You. I would have been like, Jesus, we didn't bring him for that. We want to see him, you know, we're not carrying this guy back, man. <laughs> He's got to walk. But instead he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Right? We don't know if maybe he was paralyzed because of some sin that he had committed in the past. Maybe as he was sinning, he got into an accident or maybe he got some kind of disease that caused him to be paralyzed. We don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus always desired to get to the heart of the matter, to the heart of the individual, right? In the story we just read earlier about the leper, what does he do, man? He touches him, that compassionate touch before the healing. So we see that Jesus always desired to work in the heart of an individual before he works in the outward. And so he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. But as he says that, 
We're told that the scribes and the Pharisees began to kind of talk among themselves. Man, who does this guy think he is? Man, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God? And they were right. Only God can forgive sins. And that's why Jesus is God. Right? He's the second person of the Trinity. And Jesus can forgive sins. And in them saying that, they're confirming that Jesus is God. And so as they're reasoning among, amongst themselves, Jesus says, hey, what are you guys talking about in your hearts? He says, I know what you're thinking. He says, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiving you or to say, rise up and walk. So they're doubting Jesus. They're doubting the character of Jesus. They're doubting, they're doubting the nature of Jesus. They're doubting the word of Jesus. And he says, he calls them out. He says, I know what you're thinking, right? He says, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiving you or to say, rise up and walk. And if you look at it logically, I mean, I guess the easier thing to say would be, your sins are forgiving you. Because I could, you could say that and you wouldn't see any, any tangible evidence of that. So you could, all right, well, you could kind of, all right, yeah, maybe he forgave him, maybe he didn't, I don't know. But if you would have said, all right, get up and walk, that, that's something you can't deny. You say, you're, you're, you're forgiven, all right, you know, that's between him and God. But if you say, get up and walk, it's like, all right, and now he's on full display for everyone to see. And it's like Jesus was putting himself out there, saying, look, man, I'm not just going to say it, but I'm going to show you. So he tells him, he says, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiving you or to say, rise up and walk? And then he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus called himself the Son of Man. This is a title that was given uh, uh, in the book of Daniel, actually. And Daniel had this prophecy you know, about, about, about God. He says that he, sees, he saw the Most High and he saw one like the Son of Man. And so this is a title given to the Messiah and it's specific to the book of Daniel. Amazing, amazing. And so Jesus says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And notice, immediately he rose up before them. He took up what he had been laying on and he departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. Man, amazing. Right? That Jesus was proving, he says, look, I am God. You were right. What you were thinking on your heart, you were right. He says, only God can forgive sins. And so that you, you know that, 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 I'm, that I'm God and that I have authority and power on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to show you. Right. One thing that's interesting, interesting to me among man, the whole story is interesting. But one thing that really stands out to me is if you look back there in verse in verse six, seventeen at the bottom part of that it says, "And the power of the Lord was present to heal them." We're told that these religious guys came from all over the place, along with the multitude, and we're told that the power of God was present to heal them. Now, I believe that's saying that the power of God was present to heal both the religious leaders of their unbelief and of their hardened heart, and also the multitudes, man, of those who were sick and also, and also those who were seeking a Savior. The power of God was there present to heal everyone who was in that place, from the Pharisees to the scribes to this paralyzed man to his friends to all the multitudes. But notice who received the healing, right? And, and this is amazing because the Lord, man, He is willing. He's willing. And there's some things that, that God will, 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 will heal us of. There's some things that, that He will deal in our hearts with. But He'll only do it if you let Him. And so then you have these religious guys who think that they're, man, they don't need a healing. They don't need God. They don't need a Savior. They don't need to hear from Jesus. Because in their eyes, man, they're the, the, the religious authority. They've already, they, can't, they can't receive anything from Jesus because in their minds, they're way up here. Right? And so though the power of God was present to heal them, their hearts were not received willing to receive that healing. But this guy was, man. He came and noticed, noticed that he's probably been just humiliated his whole life. He says, Lord, I'm ready. 
right? And he was forgiven and he was healed. But yet these religious guys, man, they, they came and they left the same way. And I pray it won't be said the same thing about us. And so it goes on to say, then verse 27, we have the calling now of, of Matthew, the tax collector. Again, last chapter, we, we had the calling of uh, Peter, James, and John. Jesus called them unto himself to be disciples. And now, now uh, Jesus is going to call another man, another unlikely character. Notice that as we go through the gospel, all the guys that Jesus calls to himself, specifically the, the 12 disciples, man, they're all the most unlikely of characters. Three fishermen, they probably didn't have more than high school uh, uh, education, right? They were just blue-collar guys and very uh, just simple guys, you know, untrained, untaught. They didn't go to school for Hebrew. They didn't go to school to read the scriptures. They were just blue-collar guys, man. They just worked. They were tradesmen. And then he calls someone still kind of uh, uh, the most unlikely of characters, and we'll see why. But also just, man... Now from the, the opposite spectrum, right? A numbers guy, a tax collector. He's probably like a, an accountant. Right? He's good with numbers. And so it says there in verse 27, it says, And these things went out. After these things, sorry. It says, He went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. That's his Hebrew name. Sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Hey, follow me. So he left all. He rose up and he followed him. And then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples or Jesus' disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, hey, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so this, we're introduced to this guy, Matthew. Right? He's the fourth of the, of, the, of the disciples that Jesus calls. And we're told that he was a tax collector. Right? For us, that doesn't really mean much. But what that means is that he was pretty much a government employee. Right? He was a Jewish employee of the Roman government. And for the tax collectors of that day, the, the Roman government would employ Jewish tax collectors so they could pretty much tax their own people. Right? And, 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 and this was a deal. They had this deal with them. It was a contract. These guys, these guys would bid for the jobs. They would say, all right, I'll tax this much and I'll give you this much. And so the tax collector, uh, he, he would pretty much bid for the job. And whatever was demanded from, from Rome, whatever was demanded from the government, he would pay that from the people. But anything extra, he, he got to keep. That was his commission. So if Rome was, was, uh, was requiring 7%, man, me as a tax collector, I would go and I would charge 12%. Right? And man, and all that, that's me. That's, that's pocket money. Right, that's for me. So these guys were hated among the Jews. If you were a Jewish tax collector, man, your family would have a funeral for you. You're considered dead. You've turned your back on, on us, on your family, on your people. You work for Rome now. You know what? You're dead. They, they would be hated. They would be despised. And they were pretty much crooks. You know, all these guys were crooks. They were in it for themselves. They were trying to make a buck. And, and they forsook their family, their tradition, their religion for that. So with that being said, man, he was... Probably no one talked to him. Right? He was hated also. And his only friends were, notice, tax collectors. He had a feast for Jesus. He had a party for Jesus at his house. And who did he invite? Tax collectors. Why? Because, man, <laughs> misery loves company. Right? They stuck, among, they stuck with it, well, among themselves. Right? No one else wanted to talk to these guys. No one else wanted anything to do with these guys. And then we're told that Jesus goes up to him. He finds him. He finds Levi. He's sitting at his office. He's at his desk, at his cubicle. And he says, hey, follow me. And at that moment, he left all. And he rose up and he followed me. He quit his job. He left the money, left everything that he had, left his desk, his desk, left his job, and he followed the Messiah. 
That's awesome. That's a radical conversion. That's a radical change. That's a a radical commitment. For him to not have any friends, for him to not hear, not have any conversation with anybody, not have any relationship with anybody, all of a sudden he, no doubt he's heard about Jesus. He's a Jew, he was a Jew himself. He says, man, this is our Messiah. He was probably thinking, man, our Messiah won't want anything to do with me. He's probably ashamed of me. Seeing the way I'm living, that I've betrayed our people, that I'm taxing our people, that I'm ripping our people off. He'll probably never want anything to do with me. And yet, his Messiah goes right up to his table and he says, you, follow me. So what do you say, man? I'll follow you, right? So he follows him. And so we're told that Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. He throws a party. Man, the Messiah chose me to follow him. Let's celebrate. He throws him a great party and he invites all the other tax collectors that he knew and they all sat down with them and their scribes and Pharisees, again, back to these religious guys, says they complained against Jesus' disciples. They didn't tell anything to Jesus, but they, they, they complained against the disciples. And they said, and they said, hey, uh, how come you're, you're eating with tax collectors and with sinners, right? They keep in mind that they're the religious authority, quote unquote. And they're saying, hey, man, we don't do this, right? We're, we're, we're supposed to be godly. We don't hang out with these guys. We don't come near these guys, man. They're, they're traitors. They betrayed us. He says, they're sinners, right? What's your, what's your teacher doing with them? And Jesus answered him. He said, man, those who are well have no need of a, of a doctor, right? But those who are sick, and he's true. He makes a simple yet profound statement. Man, I don't ever go to the doctor when I'm feeling great. I wait till I broke my hand to go to the doctor, right? Right now I'm, that, that I'm getting the x-rays and all that. Now I'm getting my physical that I haven't got since I was in school. <laughs> Never been to the doctor, all these things. I'm like, man, right, I don't, I don't go because I don't have any need to. But once you start feeling sick, once you start hurting, man, then you go to the doctor, right? Because you recognize, man, I need help. All right, that's it. It's gone too far. No, I can't take no, no amount of ibuprofen, no amount of Vicks or vapor, vapor rub is going to work. I got to go to the doctor. And so Jesus says, look, man, those who are well, he says, they don't need help because you're well. And what he's saying is, you think you're all right. That's why you're not seeking me. He's telling the religious guys, you think you're doing fine. You think spiritually you're well off. That's why you're not seeking me. But this guy and all his, all his tax collector buddies, they know they're messed up. And that's why they're here with me. That's why he threw me a party, right? Because they know that they're messed up and they know that, 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 that they need me, right? And they've received me. <coughs> so he says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Man, no one's righteous, right? The Bible says that none is, is righteous, you know, but God. God makes us righteous through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. But if somebody's walking around self-righteous, what Jesus is talking about is self-righteousness. You think, you know what? I don't need Jesus. I don't need, I don't need the Bible. I don't need scriptures. I don't need God. I'm good. And really, you rec- what you're doing is that you're, you're, you're self-righteously proclaiming yourself as you know, exempt from God. I don't need God, man. I'm good. I'm good. And Jesus says, hey, man, those guys don't need me, right? They're good on their own. Or so they think. Just by called sinners to repentance. That's all of us. And then going on there in verse 33, it says, Then they, they said to him, they, that's those scribes and Pharisees from verse 30, he says, Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often? And make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours, they eat and drink freely. Alright, so again, now they're trying to press them on every issue. You're eating with tax collectors, you're sitting down with sinners, you're partying with these guys. And he says, oh, and then now they're, now they're trying to get them and they say, well, uh, how come our disciples, you know, they, they, they fast often, meaning, they, man, they keep all the religious traditions. And, and, and John the Baptist, his disciples also, man, they fast also. He says, but yours, man, they're just eating and drinking freely. And Jesus said in verse 34, he says, can you make friends, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast? 
while the bridegroom is with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. And so it was a tradition in that time that, well, first the Jews, they had a specific days that they would all fast on. It was typically, it was like twice or three times a week, right, depending what feast you're, you're keeping. But they had a tradition amongst themselves that if, man, they were celebrating somebody's uh, a wedding and the weddings will go on for weeks, right? If it was like someone's wedding and, and you know what, oh man, I'm getting married on this day, but it's also a fast day. Everybody would put aside the fast to go celebrate this joyous moment. You know, man, you know what? Our buddy's getting married, man. This is a joyous moment. All right, what well, God has put together, may let no man separate. Began to quote the Old, Old Testament scriptures. They had a huge feast. It was a joyous occasion. We're not going to fast here, man. We're going to celebrate. Eat, right? We're going we're gonna to drink. We're going to eat. We're going to, you know, be merry. We're going to celebrate, right? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a glorious time. It's a joyous time. And so Jesus tells them, as they're pressing, man, how come your disciples don't fast and ours do? And so do John's. And he says, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? He's saying, look, man, this is a joyous occasion. And he compares himself to the bridegroom. And I love that because the Bible calls us, the church, the bride of Christ. And Christ is our bridegroom. But he says, look, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? Saying, look, this is a joyous occasion. You should be enjoying this occasion. You should be celebrating, right? You should be, man, full of joy also like these guys because I'm with them. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? Obviously, with a self-answering question, no. It's a rhetorical question, no. Right? But what he's saying is like, look, you guys don't get it. They get it. Right? They recognize that this is a joyous occasion. Why? Because the Messiah is here. The Messiah is here. It's like saying, oh man, God's out there. I'll be back. I got to go to church. And my friend, God's over there though. It's like, no man, you got to be over there where he's at. So he's saying, you guys are missing out. You're missing the point. And then verse 36 says, and we'll end with these verses. It says, Then he spoke a parable to them. That's to those religious leaders. He says, No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts wine, new wine into old wineskins. Or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled. And the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. And both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new. For he says, the old is better. And so Jesus, in, in, in addressing the issue of their hearts, he, makes it, he, he, he speaks to them in parables, which is, uh, Jesus often spoke in parables, but a parable is an illustration. Right? It's an earthly example of a heavenly truth. So he used earthly examples to, to, to demonstrate or to teach a heavenly truth. And he says, look, no one puts from a new garment, no one puts a piece from a new garment onto an old one, same patches. Right? He says, look man, when someone's out there and, the, and, the, and their robe gets torn, it's an old robe and it gets torn, you gotta patch it up. <coughs> you, gotta patch, you gotta patch it up. He says, no one's gonna get a brand new piece of fabric and, and use that brand new piece of fabric to patch an old robe because then when you put it in the washer, he says, uh, the, the, the new one's gonna shrink and it's gonna cause to, the old one to tear because the old one's already shrunk. Right? So the new, piece, the new patch is gonna, is gonna shrink, it's gonna pull on the old garment and it's gonna tear it. And he says, otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. So he's saying, they're both going to be ruined. The old garment's going to be ruined because it's going to tear, and the new garment's going to be ruined because now it's, it's, it, it's, no, it's no good. It's not going to match the other one, and it's no use anymore. You can't use it anymore. So he's going to say, they're, they're, they're both going to be of no use. And then he says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. Back in Jesus' time, they didn't have uh, glass bottles or, you know, aluminum cans. Boop, 
all right, drink your wine, right? But they would carry it and, 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 and well, they come wineskins, you know, were pretty much, they're made out of leather. And so they would uh, make a brand new uh, leather pouch, right, like a little canteen. They would put new fermented wine in it and the new wine would, 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 would bubble up, right? And it would cause the leather to expand, all right? And it would kind of just, it would, it would mold into, into, into the leather, it would cause it to expand. But it had to be a new wineskin for a new wine because it was an old wineskin that was already, it was an old leather that was already expanded, right? It was already stretched out. You put new wine in it, it's gonna expand it even more, more than it's supposed to, and it's gonna tear the, 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 the canteen. And everything's gonna spill. Now you're gonna have no wine and you're gonna have no canteen and both are gonna be ruined. And so in Jesus saying this and making this illustration and speaking this parable, what he's comparing and what he's addressing in the heart is the old uh, uh, Judaic religious system. Jesus saying, look, I didn't come to patch up the old system. He says, you guys are doing something uh, this in a religious way. He says, I didn't come to patch up this old religious system. He says, I came to bring a new one. All right? Jesus didn't come to say, all right, man, okay, well, so they've been doing this for this long. Uh, they've been keeping the law of Moses, this, that, the other. Right? Uh, they're kind of just, they're missing this, they're missing that. No, he said, I came to make away with that and bring in something new. Right? Man, we're not religious. Right? People say, uh, work someone who doesn't know you. like, oh, you're religious. I'm like, oh, well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, that's what I mean. But, but, but you can't explain that to somebody who doesn't get it. It's like, I'm not religious, man. It's a relationship I have with Jesus. I have a relationship with my Savior, with my God, with my Creator. That's what it is, man. It's not about religion. Religion is tradition. Religion is do, do, do in order to get, get, get. And relationship is Christianity. True biblical Christianity is, man, God already gave, you receive. All right. That's relationship. That's what it is. And Jesus is saying, look, I didn't come to patch up the old religion. He says, I came to bring in a new way. 38 says, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. And both are preserved. And he says, and no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new. For he says, the old is better. So he's addressing his heart, their hearts. And he says, look, I'm coming in with the new way. But you're not going to receive it. At least not immediately. Why? Because someone who's stuck in their old ways, they're going to say, you know what? This is... It's weird. It's foreign to me. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm used to doing things the way we've always done it. Right? And again, Jesus is addressing the old uh, uh, Judaic religious system. But, man, we can even apply that to our lives. Because oftentimes God is designed to do a new thing in our lives. He's, he's designed to take us to a new place in our personal walks with Him. And then we couldn't get in this rut or in this routine. We're like, man, you know what? I've always done this with God. It's always been like this. Right. I'm not saying that God is trying to reveal something new to you because that's not biblical. But He's trying to open up your eyes to something new. Right? Revelation is, always, is, is already there. It's the scriptures. Right? Peter would say that no prophecy is of, is of uh, private interpretation. Meaning, like, look man, the scriptures are there. Right? That's not going to change. There isn't that, oh man, God is showing me this new truth from the scripture. No, that's already there. But what God is doing, is trying to do is a new work in your heart. Right? But oftentimes, man, we could get in this rut, man, where we've been walking with the Lord for X amount of time and we think, all right, this is a way to do church. This is a way to do God. This is a way to do Christianity. And, God, and Jesus is saying, God saying, no, he says, I want to do something personal in you. All right? But we could be like that, man. We could be like those, uh, like those old wineskins. We're like, oh, man, we can't take in the, 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 the new and the fresh because it just it makes me uncomfortable. Right? And God is desiring to do something personal in our hearts and our relationships with him. Right? But it takes us, again, being able to receive it. And he says, no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new. For he says, hey, the old is better. The old way is better. Right? The old way is better. You get used to doing things the old way, the traditional way. And you think, ah, I don't know, that's not for me. And you miss out on the blessing man, of, of having that, God's 
uh, fresh new work being done in and through you. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, hey, don't miss out. Don't miss out on that. He says, man, God's doing a new thing. Don't miss out. You know, and, and, and I pray that this would be the desire of our hearts. Not that we got to change. I mean, how really, but what I'm trying to say is, uh, is, is man, be open to receiving a new work from the Lord in your heart. One thing I know about God is that He's eternal. God is eternal. God is never changing. And God is always working. And one thing I know about myself is that I'm, I'm temperate. Right? Sometimes I'm stuck in my own ways. And sometimes I'm not willing to change. But God is always desiring to do something in our hearts. Right? He's always desiring to, 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 to take us deeper in our relationship with Him. To show us uh, a deeper degree of intimacy with Him. Right? And oftentimes, man, it'll come through things like suffering, like we read about the leprous guy. It'll, think, it'll come through thing, uh, things like trials, man, like for that paralyzed guy. But God works all those things, man. All these parables, they, all these stories, they, they work together because it shows, man, that God is using those things to do a new work in our hearts, man. And we're, and we're open to receiving them. And I pray that we are. Amen? Amen. Awesome. God bless you guys. Father.